Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So, um, technic- technically, I am meant to be speaking on Epiphany this morning as our kind of semi-traditional jump back into some of the stuff which I am going to do um, but I'm going to vaguely touch into it and then probably jump completely a different direction out of it again um, so the idea of epiphany is the idea that there's the revealing of Jesus and it it's a significant point it's sometimes things we we don't give time to we kind of think of Jesus being born we think of Jesus dying on a cross we think of those things but actually we miss some of the tradition some of the the richness that's there that kind of helps us reflect and take time to think actually did this is when Jesus was, um, it's about the idea of the Jesus being revealed, Jesus being made known. And therefore, I really think that's significant in terms of what Gareth said this morning and what Sai said shared this morning. The idea of we are able to encounter and meet somebody who is not distant, who is not away, but who is constantly wanting to reveal himself to us. And therefore, for me, I think this year, talking to people around the week about my desire to not be passive in that. Not be kind of like, well, it just is the way it's always been, or that will just stay the same as it is, or just, I know as much of Jesus as I do right now, but actually being active in my Jesus, I want to know more of you. Being active in the fact that Jesus, I don't just want to know more of you, I want to be a clear representation of you in this earth. That in my job, in my family, in my home, with my friends, I want to represent you well and I want to show you well I want that to be something where like we talked about the kingdom of God comes to earth where God does a new thing because he he works that through us it's not something that passively we just get involved in but it's something that we actively take part in and we we actually take part in that revealing of Jesus Jesus gets revealed through my life that's a phenomenal privilege that I get to that we get to as a church reveal the heart and nature and identity of who he is that's just such a beautiful thing so I want to pay far away over here. I want to um, turn to, if you can, just turn to Psalm 23. I've been thinking and meditating on this for months, and it's been the thing that I prayed most mornings and just spent time going over most days and just chewing it over. And it's been such life to me. And I think. I wanted to share it because it, it does link into what we want to talk about this morning, but I just really feel that, that it will bring some life to us at the start of this new year. Um, it's a very famous psalm. Most of us could probably recount it without even turning to our fake Bibles other than Lydia, Jeremy and Matt. Okay, But um, for me, it's beautiful. And it just, just paints this picture again and again and again of what I believe those two things, the idea of us having Jesus revealed to us, but also us revealing him. And that for me is what I feel I want for this year, that I want to know more of him, but I also want to make him known more. Mm -hmm. And that's so cliche and we say that so often, but that is in a nutshell the kingdom of God, that I want to know him better and make him known better. I want him to be seen and felt and touched um, in the places I go, but I want to know that side of him too. So I'm just going to read it through and then we're going to kind of go bit by bit through it. Um, So verse 1, Psalm 23 verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. First thing I want to pick up from this is the first line. It's, it, for me, it's very, very similar to the way that we sometimes read um, the, the kind of parable of the lost son. And we call it the parable of the lost son, don't we? But actually, the first line in that parable is that there was a man who had to, or a father that had two sons. So the, 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 the framework of that parable is not the two sons. The framework of that parable is the father, mm-hmm. is the man that had two sons. And it's exactly the same way for this. The, the frame of this is not about lying down in green pastures. It's not about being led by still water. It's not about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not about any of that kind of stuff. That's not the frame. The frame is that he is our shepherd. Mm-hmm. That's the primary focus of this thing that carries its way the whole way through this psalm. And that's it, that he is my shepherd and because he is my shepherd i will not want and that when we let that sink in is enough for us to go home now happy because that that is a phenomenal thing that david as we know as a shepherd himself is relating the fact that as a shepherd who tends his sheep who protects his sheep who who makes sure his sheep are fed who makes sure that they're watered who makes sure that they are taken care of who makes sure that that things that could do them harm are driven away and are fought away, that, that he makes sure he moves them when one field has been exhausted to another field so they've got enough to eat and space to sleep and space to be and be safe. That David is kind of relating the fact that this is, I'm a shepherd, yet, yet God is my shepherd. He's the one who protects me. He's the one who makes sure I've got enough sustenance. He's the one who makes sure that I move from space to space when that space is exhausted for what it has. He's the one who makes sure I can lie down and be safe at night. He's the one that does that. And David's just caught into this idea of that he's the one that does that. And that's exactly the same for us. And he's saying that in the same way my sheep, my, my flock don't want because I make sure they don't want He's making sure that I don't want, that I don't lack anything, that that I don't need those things because my shepherd is taking care of that. So I want to just do something for a second, which is going to be terrible for the audio on this thing. But anyway, um, I want to just, everyone close your eyes. And I want you to just think on those two lines, because that is the context of this whole psalm, that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I want you just to start to think, it may be that you think about what you know about sheep and shepherds. Maybe it's you start to think about what it looks like for God to care for you in that way. But just start to think on that. What does it look like? What does it feel like to have that idea that him being our shepherd, taking care of us, watching over us, protecting us, that he is, his purpose is to take care of us. That a shepherd finds his identity in taking care of his sheep. That God finds an aspect of who he is by taking care of us. That all that stuff that I try and do in my own self-effort, in my own strength, in my own kind of like, I need to take care of myself now. I've grown up to the point where it's like me now, I've got to sort it out now. I don't need a shepherd anymore, I'm a big sheep right now. But actually just resting in the fact that he is my shepherd. No matter how big I grow, no matter how good a sheep I become, no matter how phenomenal I get at eating grass and, and growing wool and whatever I do, he is still 
my shepherd. And that's the context. That's the context of existence. No matter how good I get, how well things go, he is my shepherd. And because of that, I will not want. And my encouragement to you, my challenge to you, you can open your eyes now if you want to. You don't have to. If you want to stay eyes closed for the rest of the sermon, that's fine. Um, my encouragement is just to meditate through it. And again, and again, and again, and again. And you'll find that even though it's the same words, you'll find that the Spirit of God will just quicken stuff and it'll just be like, wow. And you'll find a peace that will come. Because it just will resonate. And things that we've tried to hold on to so tightly and become so tense with will just begin to relax. It's like, actually, I, I, I am finding a safety in the fact that he is my shepherd. And security in that. And I want to kind of re-emphasize that point again here. The, the, the beautiful thing about this is that the next lines, because for me, and I'm sure it's just for me, I'm sure nobody else will resonate with this whatsoever, but for me the next lines are quite challenging. Because it says this, and they, they read so much, but just listen, I wanted to capture something. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's he, 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 and he. It's not me, 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 and me. I don't, I don't make myself lie down in green pastures. I don't lead myself beside still waters. I don't, and here's the big one, I don't restore my soul. I don't bring restoration to my mind, my will, and my emotions. He does. Mm -hmm. And that flies, and it it books against stuff. Because it books against stuff in me. That books against the society that tells us, you want to be better, you've got to sort your mental health out, you've got to sort your emotions out, you've got to sort your decision-making ability out, you've got to sort all that stuff out. Mm -hmm. And we think, I've got to make that happen. He does it. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying we're passive then, go, God, just do it. But then there's something about the fact that being with him brings restoration to our soul in a way that I can never get through self-help. I can never get through this idea of, like, I will make myself better. I will get out of this mess. There's something that happens when we just take time to think and meditate on the fact, you're my shepherd. And I'm not going to want because of that. And you are going to lead me beside the waters. And you are going to make me lie down in green pastures. And you are going to restore my soul. And just spend that time with him. It just brings a restoration. And it brings a a peace that takes place in there. The other fascinating thing for me is that this whole thing is a journey. Is a walk. The whole psalm. Because we often pick up the idea that being a walk in, in where it talks about there are walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Or perhaps in the verse before where it says he leads me in paths of righteousness. But actually even the start is a walk. It's a journey. It's a step-by-step, day-by-day thing that, that's taking place. That it's this idea that he is revealing himself to us as the shepherd. He, that God is revealing himself to us in this process. But as this journey that goes step-by-step. Step, because even listen to the language. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The context of that is having to make you lie down in green pastures means that you're not lying down in green pastures. Mm. Therefore, what you're doing, you're either walking or you're moving because he's making you lie down. So the whole context of this is that this shepherd is walking, he's moving with his sheep, going from space to space. The sheep are going with him and he's saying, right, now is the time to lie down in green pastures. Now is the time, listen to it, where I'm going to lead you beside still waters. Now is the time where I'm going to bring restoration because of those two preceding things. 
Now is the time where there's going to be restoration for your soul. And then it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's the same thought. It's the idea that it's walking. And the reason that's important is this, that, again, I'm sure it's just me, but this idea that I have to have a restored soul or be perfect, have everything together, then I'll do stuff. Mm. This idea that if I get this stuff done first, this sorted in my life, then I can really start living. Mm. Or if this is sorted, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, if this is sorted in our house, then we'll enjoy our house. Mm. Or if this job is sorted, then I can start to enjoy work. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things in principle, but there's something that gets underneath us where it goes, we almost stop until. Yeah. But the idea that this whole thing is a journey, the, the, the shepherd's not going, right, you're going to lie down here until you've got yourself restored. We're going to lie down here until I've done what I need to do and then we're going to move on. But actually the, the, the process of restoration, the process of him bringing wholeness to our soul, the process of him working those things is happening as the sheep are moving. That my soul, I don't need to go, but I need to get my emotions in check and then I can be who God wants me to be. But actually God's going, no, I'm going to get your emotions in check with you. We're going to sort it out, but we're going to do it as you're walking. We're not going to stop but we're going to do it as you're walking. We're going to do it as you're living life. We're going to do it as you're going step by step. And absolutely, there are stuff that we need to have healed and made whole completely that. But it doesn't mean we stop, don't do anything, and then we start going again. That's perfectionism. It's legalism. So that I have to have everything perfect in my life, and then I can start to live. God said, no, no, I want you to just keep walking. Keep walking. As flawed as you may feel you are right now, we're going to keep walking. I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures every now and again. I'm going to lead you beside still water every now and again. And in that process, we're going to restore your soul. But actually, just keep going. Just keep going with what you know. Keep going with where you're going. Don't stop. Don't wait. Don't try and get everything together. Just keep moving. Keep walking step by step. Step by step. And this journey of restoration of our soul, for me, it's, it's essential for, this, for, for life in general, that he's bringing a wholeness to our soul. For me, we are struggling with an epidemic of identity. Mm-hmm. People don't know who they are. And therefore, we find identity in work. We find identity in our, even our relationships. My primary identity is not that I'm a dad, it's not that I'm a husband, it's not that I'm a a teacher, it's not that I'm a pastoral manager in my school, it's not that I am a church leader, it's not that I am even a friend, it's not that I am any of those things. My primary identity is that I am his. That's my identity, that I am his. The sheep don't have identities based on, I'm this type of sheep. The sheep have identities because they're his sheep. They're marked as his. That's our primary identity. My primary identity is not in job. It's not in my sexuality. It's not in my um, profession. It's not in my family. It's not in my my relationship status. None of those things. Mm -hmm. But the problem is we've got society to the point where where we're finding it in all of those things. Mm -hmm. And therefore when those things are taken away, we don't know what to do. And we freak out. And that's the challenge. And therefore we, we put other things in place to try and fill that void that says, this is who I am. Why is this who I am? Because this is what I'm best at. Or this is where I find safety or security. And actually God is saying, no, 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 no. All of that stuff doesn't, I'm not saying it's not wrong. It's not wrong that I'm a dad. It's not wrong that I am leading a church. It's not wrong that I'm good at my job. <laughs> that's wrong. But my primary identity is I am his. 
So everything else goes wrong. If I'm a sheep who can't grow wool, if I'm um, a sheep who just becomes useless as being a sheep, it makes no difference because I'm still his. In the same way, if I'm a sheep who is exceptional and I just produce the best wool and I produce the best kind of stuff that everything a sheep is and does and whatever it is, I'm still his. That's the framework. The framework is the shepherd and us being his. The restoration of my soul comes from when I go, God, oh man, that's it, isn't it? You bring that restoration and we bring it step by step. And I might be a crazy sheep right now that thinks I've got to do it all myself, but we're going to walk by step by step and he's going to bring restoration to our soul. And this path keeps going on. It says that he leads us or he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that line for me is, is, is just stunning. That, that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The, there's this two-pronged thing that we talked about at the start that I want to know him more and I want to make him known. That second part is about making him known. That he is revealing himself to us and that revealing himself to us as provider, as protector, as restorer of our souls, as the one who is taking care of us and looking after us. That's bringing this restoration. But there's this second part that happens that at the overflow of that comes this thing of like, and now I want you, you to be the one that makes me known. That I want to lead you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. What does that mean? That somebody's name carries the weight of who they are, especially if they're not present. That if I have a certain name or certain status, then it's, it's represented in that name. That when someone goes to meet somebody else and says, look, I'm coming on behalf of this company or this person, that carries weight. It's exactly the same thing, that, that we are doing this for his name's sake. What does that mean? That we are doing it because he's saying, look, you are going to be my image bearers. You are going to be the ones who, who represent who I am. And I'm going to lead you in these paths of righteousness for my namesake. What, in another way, that I'm going to walk with you, and I want, I'm going to walk with you. And as I walk with you, you're going to reveal who I am. It's not just this idea that we, we, give, we receive restoration, but actually saying, look, I want to, that to come to you, and I want you to then show the world exactly who I am. And I want to entrust my image to you, even if you're broken. Even if at that point in time you've not got it perfect, because we're walking it step by step. And saying, look, I want to lead you in these paths of righteousness, these paths of who you really are, so that you start to reveal who I am to it. And that's a phenomenal responsibility. It's an honourable responsibility. It's an amazing thing that he is saying, look, I'm giving you the, the role of saying, this is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is who the shepherd is. That when I walk into work, I walk in as an image of what God looks like. In the way I deal with students or staff or parents or whoever it may be, that dealing with is as if God were dealing with them. And therefore the way he is bringing restoration to me, bit by bit, affects the way that then I reveal him in those things. But he said, look, I trust you to do it in your broken and, and, and messed up way I'm bringing restoration to you but I'm trusting the fact you just reveal that not because I'm saying I'm trusting you therefore you have to but because as you, he is doing that in us we're starting to reveal more and more and more of who he is that when I go home with my family the way I parent Zachary and Levi I'm revealing and showing who God is the reality is that their belief in God is going to be significantly based on how me and Susie parent them and much less on whether we say you've got to believe in God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
in the way that I am with Susie as a husband, that I'm revealing the heart of Christ as the husband to the church. That, that's what I do in that. And that's phenomenal. It's an amazing thing that he has entrusted us that. So look, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to say, look, you guys go. You reveal it. You show the world who I really am. And the church, as, we all, as people do, we, we've made mistakes in the way that that's done. And the world have a perception of God that is distorted and, and, and incorrect in some ways. In some ways it's brilliant, in other ways it's completely not. But we have a wonderful opportunity to say, this is what he looks like. Not because I'm telling you, but like Gareth said and like Sai said this morning, this is what he looks like because I'm just going to do this. This is what it looks like because I'm just going to pray for the sick. This is what it looks like because I'm just going to provide for the poor. This is what it looks like because I'm just going to be there for those who are lonely. This is what it looks like because I'm going to be there for the broken. This is what it looks like. That's what he does. That's who he is. Why do I know that? Because that's what he's done with me. Because he is is restoring me and therefore I can see this is what he wants to do. This is what he wants to say. This is what he wants Mm -hmm. to be. And we continue this journey as he keeps walking because then we pick up the one we always associate with walking. But though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, just bear in mind that this is not a kind of necessarily a doom and gloom stage. This is not necessarily, it can be, please hear me, it can be. This is not necessarily to do with a sheep that's in depression or a sheep that's going through a hard time right now. Or a sheep that's going through a difficult phase in their life right now and they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Which is what we are certainly, and please get me hit, hit me right here, it can be. I don't want to remove that because it can be hope to people. Okay? But at the same time, this is not necessarily what that's talking about. This is talking about the fact that in this path of righteousness, that we are walking with our shepherd, with our God, and he is taking us through places that are hopeless. It doesn't mean that we are hopeless. It means that he's taking us through places that are hopeless. Because he wants to bring the same restoration that's worked in us into those places. Yeah. To, to bring life to that valley of the shadow of death. To bring, to bring vitality back into situations and places where there aren't, isn't any. To bring identity back to places where identity has been stripped right back. Because he's doing the same thing in that place that he's done in us. And therefore the valley isn't necessarily just about God saying, well, I'm going to take you through a bad time right now. That's nothing to do with it. It's never the heart of God. Jesus didn't go into the wilderness for the four years of temptation because God went, right, now I need to teach you something. He went in there, as I said this morning, one of you said this morning, he went in there to overcome temptation, to bring change into that place. Yeah. The God's not going, right, I'm going to take you into a bad situation. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, look, I'm going to lead you into places and in that place you're going to bring hope. Mm. Not because you're going to work at it, not because you're going to go, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make it happen, but because he's walking with us. Yeah. Because at no point in this thing has he left. Because mm. it says in the next verse, I will fear no evil. Why? I'll fear no evil. I'll fear none of the evil that I see in this hopeless situation, in this hopeless person's life, in this terrible situation I see society in, in this kind of insurmountable challenge that I'm facing me or us as a community or us as a nation or as a city. I won't fear any of that evil. Why? Because you are with me. And I know that with you, nothing's impossible. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why do they comfort me? Because it's a reminder of the fact you're with me. If I'm a sheep, seeing that rod and that staff reminds me that he's just walking there. It's fine. 
it'll be okay. That's why they bring comfort. I, I've heard it mentioned before they bring comfort because God uses this time of correction to beat the sheep and all this kind of stuff. And it's just ridiculous. It's not true at all. A rod and a staff bring comfort to sheep because they see, as they're walking lower down, they see the staff. It's like that's a reminder that you're with me. And therefore I don't have to fear anything. And I'm not going to fear the challenges in society that look so un, unchangeable because actually... I'm going to walk through and know that you're with me and therefore we can see restoration to this barren valley, to this space where there's hopelessness, to these, the, the kind of dry bones that don't show any life. We can see life coming to those most impossible situations because you are with me. Yeah. And that's the, what starts to happen. And even in this stage, he's restoring our soul. He's restoring our, the, this idea of like hopelessness. He's going, no, no, no. I'm going to take, we're going to walk through this thing I'm going to walk it through together. And it's actually going to restore you because it's going to make you think, actually, yeah, we can do this. We can change. And that starts being restoration to our soul. That so often in life we can be tempted to avoid the challenge. If I just get my house okay and we just insulate ourselves in our home from everything else that goes on around us, then everything will be fine. But I would suggest suggest to you humbly that that is a limiting the restoration God wants to work in our lives if I just retreat to my bunker and go right, right the world is going to hell in a handbasket but I'm just going to stay here and our home is nice and I'm okay that would suggest to you that if this whole process is to be restoration which I believe it is that actually God walking with us through those those situations that, that actually scare us that's part of the restoration because it reminds us who we really are and then it says in, in, in the New Testament that we are more than conquerors. I, I cannot have that aspect of my identity restored if I don't go and face something that needs conquering. It will never be there. And therefore my life may look fantastic, but actually there's lack because I'm not really walking in who he's called me to be. That doesn't mean I go and just find the most difficult situations just because I want to do that, but it means that as he's walking with us, we'll face challenges, we'll face difficulties. We're saying, look, but you can overcome that, it's fine. I'm actually leading you this way because I know you can overcome it. I know you're going to overcome that situation. In the same way that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. It wasn't that God led him in saying, oh, this could go either way. He's going, no, I know what will happen. I know Jesus will overcome. I know he will do this. And therefore, there's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's no stress. So those challenging things we face, those things we're worried about, sometimes it's not just about being rescued from it. And believe me, I really want to be rescued from situations that I don't want to face and don't want to do. Sometimes it's about him saying, no, I don't, it, the, way out, the way out of this is not that you're going to be rescued. The way out of it is that you're going to change it. Mm-hmm. You're going to conquer it. And you're actually going to change the way society deals with that situation. Or the way that that family works. Or the way that whatever happened, you're going to change it. And you're not going to change it because you're going to work incredibly hard. You're going to change it because that's who you are. You're a conqueror. You change the landscape. You change the valley. You make a dry valley that's got just this place of fear into a place of hope again. It says in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. The, I think it may have been Gareth that said this. If it's not, I've just quoted you something so you get credit for it anyway. Um, 
Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who misuse you. There's no way then this is a taunt to enemies. It's not God going, right, I'm going to make a tale before you in the presence of your enemies just so your enemies can see how good stuff is for you and how bad it is for them. There's no way. It makes no sense. It makes sense if you want that kind of message completely. So I did that. I'm going to go through this valley. I'm going to learn some stuff and I'm going to come out the other side of my enemies. Everyone I don't like is going to see how good I am because God's made me awesome and they're going to see how terrible their life is. And that's going to, and, it, and we can spin it, and that's going to prompt them to jealousy and then they're going to want to come and know God again. And that's, it's just not anything to do with that at all. It's the idea that actually God is bringing restoration to my soul. He's bringing, bringing restoration to me. He's bringing restoration to the environment I find myself in, in this valley. And in part of that valley, I'm going to come across those enemies. And it could be a person. It could be a person. We shouldn't feel bad about that. The reason we shouldn't feel bad about that is because Jesus spoke to people and said, look, you need to love your enemies. He didn't say, don't have enemies. Which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So if you want to be a real good Christian, don't have any enemies. What he said was, those people you don't like... Those people you were clashed as your enemies, those people that, that, that have done bad to you, those people that have mistreated you, I want you to love them. And eventually they, they stop becoming your enemies and they become someone that you find loving and lovely because you've been changed again. But the point is here that it could be a person, but it could be a thing, like a, a conceptual thing, like a poverty, or it could be, um, it could be exclusion, or it could be... Um, kind of disease or it could be could be anything could be any of those things as well but the idea the 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 fascinating thing about this is for me that he changes the dialogue because it's about bringing restoration and we're in this space we're in this place and it's that this table is prepared before us remember we're on a journey so before us i've walked and now it's before me in the presence of my enemies so the idea is that my enemies are on this side of the table. And the idea is that that, that table becomes a place of abundance, of overflow. It talks about my, your head being anointed with oil and my cup overflows. Because it's going to bring enough for us to love our enemies. Or enough for us to change that enemy of poverty into an enemy or into a friend of abundance. That the idea is that he's preparing this table of more than enough, that it becomes a place of reconciliation, becomes a place of hope, becomes a place of, of everything that's possibly needed to see someone who was an enemy become a friend. Not because we've gone, like, please be my friend, please, please, please like me, but we've gone, okay, I'm going to just be so abundantly loving towards you, so abundantly giving you more than enough. Doesn't mean we're a pushover, that's not what this is talking about, but I'm going to be so lavish in the way I love you that actually there's going to be an abundance on this table before you. And you can come and enjoy. Yeah. You may think you're my enemy, but you can come and enjoy. You can come and eat from this table of more than enough. Mm. You can come and have everything you possibly need. Because I know in the same way that he's restored my identity, and the same way he's restored my soul, he's going to bring restoration to my enemy's soul at the same time. He's going to bring restoration to the, those areas of poverty, those areas of lack, those areas of disease and famine. All that stuff is going to be completely overwhelmed by the abundant goodness of this table that he prepares before me in the presence of my enemies. The whole idea of the table is not to taunt enemies. The idea of the table is to say, it's for you. Come and eat at the table. Come and be reconciled. Come and be one. Come and be here because I've brought hope to the valley. Now I'm going to bring hope to the lives of the people who find them, who think they're opposed.
to something. Isn't that the message of Jesus? Didn't Jesus say, I'm going to go all the way to die on a cross because I'm going to simply die on a cross because I'm going to love every single person, even those who hung me there in the first place. That my cross is going to be so abundant that there's going to be more than enough for every single person in all of human history to find love and forgiveness and reconciliation at that place. He's simply doing exactly the same thing with us. I'm going to take you in these places and there's going to be more than enough. Verse 6 says this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're still on this journey. Why is goodness and mercy following? Because if we, we imagine our journey started way back here. And this is not necessarily like a linear thing. We will go through cycles of this. But if we imagine, just for the sake of analogy, that this journey is here, that I've started, and he's, he, is, he is my shepherd, and he, leads, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil, for you're with me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, so that they can come and they can find hope and salvation and everything they need. And then we keep walking, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because of what's happened. You've been there, yeah. Because of the fact the valley is now a place of goodness. Mm. Yeah. That those who are enemies are now found mercy. Mm. That's why it follows us. So Not because I'm, again, this superstar Christian that just good things happen around me. Yeah. <laughs> it's because I'm on this journey with him where restoration is coming to me and it's actually just coming to every, every area I go because mm. his goodness and mercy is just following. Yeah. And suddenly now enemies are welcomed at my table. Valley of hopelessness and death and fear is not that anymore. Those areas in society that look broken are now restored. Those families that are just lost are now brought up to the table. Those people who are so opposed, who are so against the kind of just decency and humanity are just brought to a table to eat and find restoration and find enough for themselves. And there are people in my life and in our lives that we would just go, that person can never be welcome at my table. And what God's doing in that journey to the table, what God's doing in that walk to that table, because that table finalises this thing, doesn't it? What he's doing in leading us to that table is he is restoring our soul so that that person who we could never have at that table is the person that's at that table. That person who is so deplorable, and I'm not even going to name them, because the point of if I name them, that's what it becomes. But that, those people, those things that are so, they could never come to my table. And we look at that, dis, that start point, and we're probably right. Way back here, probably right. That as we're being made to lie down in green pastures, as we're being led beside still waters, as he's restoring our soul, we're probably right. But as we get nearer and nearer, so that person or those people group or that, that whatever it may be who could never be at the table, they're the ones that are at the table. Because I'm beginning to find myself be restored that I can then bring them to the table and have them be restored as well. And that's not necessarily just an individual walk. That, that's a walk of us individually within a church community, within a society. But what if we could bring society to the table? Mm-hmm. Like what if in our restoration we, we actually bring society to the table and the people that are in society say they can never come. Yeah. 
they can never be included they can never be part but because of what's working in us we bring them with us and then suddenly we're all now at this table the enemy who's no longer an enemy because the message is love your enemies was this to love my enemy is not just to go okay yeah I can uh, tolerate you to love my enemy is to provide for them so lavishly that they just don't know what to do with it that he is walking with us and this thing is cyclical it's not like I've done it once and I thought it's done this is a life journey but it's the idea that we keep walking we don't stop and wait for stage one to be done but we just keep on walking that he's walking with us walking with us walking with us and in that process of walking with us he's revealing himself as the shepherd as the one who leads and guides and restores and protects but in that process of revealing that to us and bringing restoration in our own soul and bringing identity back to who we really are separate from anything we do anything we identify ourselves with any of that stuff just bring it back to the fact we're his we're his as that's happening, we also start to bring restoration to society. Restoration to the families and the friends and the people we know. And just, it starts to overflow. And the valley that will look hopeless becomes hope. And the, and, and the table that was never going to be welcomed by our enemies is suddenly now a place of abundance for them. And we leave goodness and mercy behind us. And we keep walking. And suddenly now this earth and this, this place that we... This earth and this place that we call home suddenly now as God talked about way 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 back in Genesis starts to look like Eden because we're leaving this path behind us of mercy and goodness and that's what Adam and Eve in the very beginning were destined to do to take the heart of God and go from Eden and just spread it across the whole world and that's exactly what he's calling us to do that we suddenly make society and the world look good again Look hopeful again. Look full of mercy again. Just simply by the life I choose to live. Mm. And the life we choose to live. And the way that we allow ourselves just to be led by our shepherd. Mm. So Jesus, I just ask that... That by your Holy Spirit you would reveal to us yourself as our shepherd as our protector as our provider as the restorer of our soul and the Jesus said then thank you that as a result of that you will cause restoration to spring forth in every environment we go into our home our neighborhoods our communities our workplaces our schools wherever it may be that Jesus, I thank you that those places are destined to be places of goodness and mercy, are destined to be places that represent heaven on earth, are destined to be that. That Jesus, thank you that that is their destination. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are going to upset our thinking by bringing us back to a place of just knowing ourselves as yours. That every other identity, every other thing we try to grab hold of to bring us some sense of worth, even if it's a good thing, I thank you that it, it is secondary to being yours. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.